welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello, and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. If this or any of the other shows have meant something to you in your life, click subscribe and leave a review. That's how we get out there more. Today, I'm excited. I have Grant Parr with me. Grant, how are you today? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm fantastic. And I've cyberstalked the hell out of you. So <laughs> you have two things that I see right away, but I want you to fill in the gaps. You have a podcast. I love podcasts called 90% Mental. Tell me about that first. Well, 90% Mental, I've had it for about three years. And mm -hmm. basically what I'm doing, I'm interviewing uh, current and former athletes, coaches, sports psychologists, um, authors that are in the wellness area and also sporting executives to not only talk about the mental game and sports psychology topics, but their stories and their journey within their mental game. Awesome. And then your website, and I, like I said, I, I did cyberstalk you before we got on. It's called gamefaceperformance.com. Everything will be in the show notes, but if people want to follow along with us, gamefaceperformance.com, tell me about that. Yeah, this has been exciting. It's been a great like run the last five years. Um, basically, it's a mental performance practice. So I'm a mental performance coach, and I'm working with professional athletes, Olympians, collegiate, and high school and youth athletes on the mental game. So we're touching on mindfulness strategies, energy management, vulnerability strategies, focus and refocus strategies. There's tons of stuff that I'm doing. And I'm also working with what I call corporate athletes. So I work with executives and in corporations on providing mental skills training and also leadership training. The thing that's so cool. So I'm a runner and um, I'm only half crazy because I like half marathons. But <laughs> one, of the, one of the things we talk about is that it's mostly mental. So why am I a runner at a nine minute mile and I cap out at 15 miles? And why are you a runner? And you can do a seven minute mile and you cap out at 30 plus miles. And uh, there is a lot of physical conditioning that goes into any sport or athlete. But we all joke when we're running. I run with this soccer moms group, you know, like, ah, it's all mental, it's all in your head. Right, right. Tell me about the science behind all of that, what you found with working with people. Well, I think in, in that context, I think what really comes down is like how strong is your inner dialogue like how when it comes to self-talk and mantras like do you listen to your thoughts or do you talk to them and oh. that, so when you're running and you're running nine miles 10 miles 15 miles right. especially with running your your mind goes in and out so yeah. it goes it goes outward and goes inward it goes outward and so depending on how long that's happening once you get to that point where you get fully exhausted or you get fatigued as soon as you say man i want to quit guess what's going to happen that's what you're yeah. going to think about it. Yeah, you're going to quit yeah. for the right. most part. So that's why when you start to, that mental toughness, um, yeah. the grit, right? All these words we hear, resiliency, right when you get to that moment where you start to feel it or you start to see that the fatigue's going to come on, that's where you start talking to it, get empowered and talk to it. Don't listen to it. So it's easy for me to say, but you got to practice that. Well, and I've never heard somebody phrase it that way, talk to it instead of listening. I mean, that's a really visual for me. It's a really visual way because our thoughts are very internal. I think it, they're like the bubbles above the cartoon though. You know, yeah. like when I'm thinking about my thoughts, I'm thinking it's me running along with this little bubble and talking to the bubble instead of just letting it talk to me. So yeah. I've never heard anybody phrase it that way. Oh, you yeah. work you work with some outstanding athletes. Yep. I want you to dive in a little bit more on the corporate stuff because I know from being an athlete to some degree, I mean, the little bit that I know about what you do, that mindset in the corporate world would be a game changer for your career. Oh, yeah, for sure. So quantify it for me. Tell me how we could do that in a business or yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting when you think about an athlete or a coach, there is no difference. Like the things you have to deal with, the, the way you have to get prepared mm -hmm. for your performance, no different from actually being in, in the workplace, um, in a sales meeting, in a boardroom. The only thing that's different is the environment. 
Now, when we get back into, when we get into like mental skills training, we talk about what you can't control and what you can't control. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we got to focus on the things that are out of our control. So when you think about the environment, can we control the environment? M more often than not, no, we can influence it maybe. Right. Okay. But when you're, when you're sitting there on a, on a football, in a football stadium, basketball court, in a pool, like the environment around you, you can't really control it. And so I always say you have, you're a hundred percent out of control and the things are outside of you, but you're a hundred percent in control of what's inside of you. You can control your thoughts and your emotions and your breath. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the, the corporate athlete in the workplace, they're dealing with thoughts and emotions. They're dealing with getting prepared for a sales meeting. They're getting prepared to, you know, to talk to the whole branch about a message, whatever. There's a lot of things that they have to deal with. It's no different from, a, from an athlete or a coach. Like a coach has to deal with stuff, the same thing as a management or manager mm -hmm. has to deal with. So I've seen that correlation because I, I spent, after my football career, 17 years in corporate America in sales and sales leadership and branch management roles. So I've, I've experienced it. I not only experienced the, the similarities, but I've also seen people in the workplace that just kind of show up and hope things just happen. And, <laughs> and, just, and there's a thing that I talk about hope. I believe in hope. I believe that when you're down on your luck and you need a place to live, you need food, you need transportation, I get it, source all the hope in the world. But when you're performing, especially if you've been actually working on your craft for a long time, I never want you to hope. I don't want you right. to think or you might or what if. I want you to know. And so a lot of times I see in the workplace, people just show up and they hope everything just kind of works out. And then when they get caught off guard, and that like I've seen this multiple times, hey, the area VP is in today and wants to talk to you. What? Me? Why? What did I do wrong? My sales off? Why me? Instead of actually reframing that opportunity and getting right in that, right, getting, getting really present, getting where your feet are and go, man, I get to talk to him. Right. I get to share my energy. I get to learn something. But I, I see that. Uh, and that's just one little sliver. Right. But that's no different from when you're actually playing sports. You're sitting on the, the bench for half the season and out of nowhere, coach goes, hey, you're in. Are you ready? Have you been doing the right work mentally to get yourself prepared? Are you, is your self-talk in place? Have you been visualizing your performance? Are you in your breath? A lot of things that we can control. I love that analogy. So one thing that I talked to my kids about, about attitude and m most things in life, you can't control. I, I don't think you can. That's why I love having paper paperwork organized because I can control my paperwork. <laughs> I know it's a dumb thing. I love it. I love but it. I remember, you know, times in my life where I felt like out of control. Well, if you need to alphabetize your books, I didn't need, to. but you know what I mean? Like you right. can control that. And I, I think I realized, yeah, I mean, you couldn't. So you can't control being cut off on the highway, but you can control whether or not you allow it to piss you off for the whole day. Exactly. Especially in these situations, like in that example, you don't know the person, you don't know their day. Maybe he's rushing his wife who's in labor to the hospital. Like you, you have no idea the story behind that, right? Yes. We make a story that he's a jerk and he's in a hurry and thinks he's better than we are. And why is it a he? I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> but we make up this story of why we were cut, cut off on the highway, yeah. how dangerous it is and how, um, how dangerous he drives and that who even gave him his license. We go off on this whole self-talk thing about irritation and then we're pissed for the day for someone we don't know. Exactly. We will never meet. We wouldn't know if we met them and we don't know their story. So what I, you, I use that example with my kids, like what you have control over is how you handle it and how you let it affect your day. Can't control the guy cutting you off. Can't right. control, don't know the story. Can't control that. You can control allowing it to ruin your day. That's all you. Totally. And Same it's, thing. And, and you have, yeah, totally. You have a choice and that's, yeah. you can control that choice. Do you want to plug into that emotion? Right. That you have no control of, right? And so I, I, there's a concept um, in my book that I talk about. It's called bending and, uh, versus breaking. There's so many things. I mean, little things. When you're trying to put like Ikea furniture together, I mean, <laughs> man, talk about breaking. I, I can't. That just tests me. So right. like that. But when you're driving, and I actually had a, a situation when I was driving where a gentleman, he was, and I was at fault. I was looking at my phone. So I, I cut him off. And he was just adamant for miles of just on my side, flipping me off, trying to have me. He was enrolling me into his emotion. And I knew what he was doing. So I just looked at him 
And I just kept, and I didn't even give him anything until the, towards the end, I just gave him a smile and it pissed him off even more. <laughs> but I, but through that, I told myself, it's my, it's my bad, my bad, but guess what? I'm not going to enroll into his, in his emotion. So right. right with myself, I just stayed with it and my morning was great. His wasn't. Uh, right. Because I made the choice, right? Yes, I love that. So I want to talk about a different, well, I see now I'm getting off on tangents and I'm losing myself here. But we have control over so little that you're being in the game, that guy that's sitting on the bench waiting for the opportunity who gets it. Is he like, holy cow, I hope it goes well, or I hope I do a good job, or I hope I, is that the mentality that a lot of people come with and show up with? You know, generally speaking with my experience when I played, I mean, I played a lot of sports, but mainly was football and coaching football. I spent many years coaching. I, I see that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't want to speak for everyone, but generally, yeah. Right. And, and I think, to be honest with you, when you think about being the first string of any team sport, that's a, that's, it's vital. We all, we all have yeah. to have a first string, right? But I think the, the most crucial position on a team and the hardest is actually being second string and third string because yeah. you don't get a lot of reps, right? And if you really want to get ready for the moment, you got to do extra stuff before and after and when people are not looking. And then, then when you're sitting on the bench and you're getting pulled into a game, you have to jump in. You're not warmed up. Like yeah. basketball, you don't have a chance like football to run up and down the sideline. You have, you're just picked. Let's go. So you're kind yeah. of cold. Yep. So you have to jump into the rhythm of that game, the rhythm of the season, and you have to know, like, you got to pick up. So I think a lot of times when I hear someone says, like, I hope I do well today, it's like a needle on a record. Like, shh, I'm like, I mean, literally it pisses me off. I'm like, wait, what did I just hear? No. Because yeah. I, I get them to, to adopt this thing called champion talk. How do champions talk? How do champions think? And so if you do actually get unexpectedly picked to go play in a game, you do have a choice in that moment to get where your feet are and just breathe. Just take one big breath. If you can get two or three, cool. Because when you have your breath, you have your mind. And when you have your mind, you have your body. And that can happen real quick. As soon as you do that, you're locked in. And I don't want you to hope. I want you to trust. And I want you to know. I think that there's a group of words, and hope is one of them on my list. Wish is one of them. It's not that I completely dislike the word as a whole. Like you said, there's a place for hope. Right. And there really is a place for that. But when you say, I wish, you know, or you say like, oh, I like it. I, I had a, a teacher, my senior of high school was a writing teacher that was like, you never use the word nice or like. It's like when a woman says, it's fine. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> so you don't say fine. You don't say, oh, that's nice. Because it's such a non, it's such a neutral kind of yucky word that means sort of nothing. Oh, I like it. Now that can be a good thing. There's just this list of words. I think you would have to just remove almost completely from your vocabulary, except when absolutely that was the right fit. And hope is one of them that you're talking about. Yeah. But wish and nice and fine and like, and like the, mm. there's this group of them that I just really dislike. Well, I like the word. I mean, not, I understand the whole, the word wish because yeah. I, that brings up a lot. I mean, a lot of people that I work with and just having conversation with people, they'll say, man, I wish I had my dream job. And I always, and I go, okay, can we reframe that? And they're like, well, what, what do you mean? I'm like, how can we say that differently? And they're like, well, I just want my dream job. Okay. Why don't we put it out to the universe? Yeah. Instead of wishing for it. Cause wishing again, it's neutral. Like you're, you're doing yourself no favors right now. Let's put it out to the universe. I'll tell you what, when you put something out, I call it like fishing, emotionally fishing. When you put all these lines out in the ocean to the universe, and you're really authentic and you're connected with that, holy shit. I yeah. mean, what the universe comes back, like the, my life in the last five years completely changed because of that, that, that whole mindset of playing a bigger game and throwing that shit out to the universe. Mm -hmm. I don't want to wish anymore, man. I want to I go out there and I'll create my own destiny. I'm going to fail too and I'm going to learn from it. But guess right. what, man? This is going to be fun. There's an expression, wish in one hand and shit in the other one and see which one fills up faster. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I, I like, love that. It's like, yeah. but I like when my, uh, when my nine-year-old's like, oh, I wish I could get that toy for Christmas. I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of shit in your future. But I wouldn't tell her that. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I just right, think right. It, it is, um, those words put you in a certain mindset. I did have an energy worker once look at me and say, you can manifest out of everything, but you have to not confuse the universe. 
Mm. So like you said, the word authentic, which is one thing, but like specific too. Yeah. Wish is kind of like this net you cast over. Oh, I wish something would happen and I'd get a better job. Well, like, what does that even mean? What job, where job in this company and another company? Are you yeah, building? Exactly. Your own? It's just this huge net of, you know, thinking if you say something so you have to be specific and authentic i think in what you ask for and she's like you can't ask for a couple different things that kind of contradict each other because you're confusing the universe mm, right so it is still about mindset it goes back to mindset be really specific so i have to write things down exactly you know and this and i bring this up a lot and i'm, I'm glad you brought up the word mindset because we we hear that word in society now it's like part of the fabric of mindset this mindset that so what is a mindset? And so for me, from my perspective, it's intentions. It's intentionality. You wake up in the morning. This is where I saw a lot in the workplace. People would go to work and they have no intention. They just kind of, I'm just going to work, right? What is your intention? And so not only what is it, I want you to understand what does it look like and what does it feel like? Because that's where we start training our brain. When we start doing that and then we breathe on it for 30 seconds to 60 seconds, just in the morning when you're in the shower, maybe look at your social media or when you're eating food, whatever it is, spend time to do that and then revisit it at lunchtime and then reflect on it when you're done at the end of the day. And then we'll see what kind of mindset you had. Because I've met so many people and see people do greatness and excellent things. And guess what? They've been very intentional. They've had a mindset. I've never seen anybody do great things when they're not in intentional. So for me, mm -hmm. It's getting people to be intentional. If you want a mindset, set your intention. And I think that's a big part about throwing things out to the universe. If, mm. if you don't have those intentions that are specific. And one, I mean, it needs to be authentic. I don't know why yes. we want to waste a lot of time in our own mindset being not authentic. But I think we get into the trap of what if or maybe or I'm mm. not good enough or you know what I'm talking about. And oh, if yeah. you have a little bit of that, that kind of skews how authentic you are. So they all kind of skip and hold hands together. They do. And, and what if is one that comes up a lot. Like I have performers that say, well, well, what if I fail? What if I get injured? What if I don't get a scholarship? What if I don't get put in social media? What if, what if, and, and what if to me is such a, it's a, I call it pre-living, like yeah. there's past living and pre-living. And if you want greatness and if you want excellence, it, it only happens in the present now. So when you start saying, what if, what if you're pre-living, man, I got to get you back here now. Right. Right. So right. it's a funny thing. I always ask people, what time is it? It's like this funny thing when I work with teams, if they can actually tell me what the answer is by the end of the session, like I give them something and people are like, it's 1233. No game time. No. And I, and it's so funny, but by the end, cause they hear my language throughout the session, mm -hmm. I'm giving dropping little nuggets. It's now, what time is it? Ah, uh, now it's now. Oh, so, I love that. And there's also the one mindset only now exist. One. Right. So I have, I want to um, ask something else. So I'm thinking about sports. So I'm going to totally throw my husband under the bus here. He plays basketball. <laughs> okay. He <laughs> played in his whole life growing up. He played in college. He went to Portugal. He did the, all the things, right? Pre, mm -hmm. pre praying for NBA. Um, Life took him in a different direction, but he still plays on teams in his 40s, and I love that. And every time before he plays, I know he's going to be running to the bathroom. Like he, It's the same thing with public speaking. How many people have you heard? He'll, he has diarrhea. He has to go to the bathroom. Like, right. like how can there be more in your system? That's ridiculous. Um, but how many singers or speakers who say, I throw up yeah. before I go on stage? What how much does mindset play? Or I always think that that's a body physically reacting to our emotions. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. How do you process through some of that? I mean, that's like stage fright or nerves or like pregame nerves or whatever. Yeah. How tied in is mindset? Cause that really is a body just physically reacting to our emotions at the time, the pre jitters. It, yeah. It's, it's all mindset. Mm -hmm. it, it really is. Now, here's a few things to look at it. So, um, and I'll get into the physical part of it. But when you think about nerves, right? What is that? It's, it's energy. Yeah. Right. It's all it is. And so 
what your body's doing is so funny when I, when I, I say high school athletes, but like it could be even collegiate athletes as well. When you ask like, is nerves, is it positive or negative? And a lot of times they're like, it's negative. I'm like, well, it's only because you think negative. Yeah. All it is energy. So what I want you to do is talk to yourself again, not listening because when you start getting nervous, you start to go, what if, what if I don't do well? What, you know, and the self doubt and all this stuff happens. So I want you to talk to your energy. I want you to control it. And I want you to say, I'm supposed to feel this way. My body is getting ready. Cause that's actually, your body does two things yeah. when it gets ready. It either gets, it gets amped up. And, it get, and the arousal signs come up, like, you know, sweaty palms, you know, uh, dry mouth, like all these things happen. When you start feeling that, that's a great thing, but you got to control it. So right. you control it by your breath. You control it by the way you talk to it and you visualize. If you can do all those three things up until the very beginning of the game, mm-hmm. you're in control. And guess what you get to do with that energy? Use, use it. it. Instead of the, the energy uses you when you get out of control. When right. You don't actually control it. So if you get nervous in your stomach, you get nervous in your throat, your chest, or your hands, focus on that energy and keep it, keep it with your breath, keep it with how you talk to it, right. visualize, and then you're, you're set, right? So, so that's, that's how I, I'm getting athletes to go. It's a great thing. Now, the other reaction happens when you're actually nervous is that you get lethargic or you yawn. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I worked with a quarterback who actually, um, I used to coach at Tom Brady's high school and the quarterback broke every single record that was ever introduced in that school. He's incredible. And towards the end of the season of his senior year or his junior, he said, um, coach, I always get, you know, I always yawn and I always feel like I'm going to do bad. And I said, that's funny. Cause you broke every single record. Yeah. You, you have the best winning record percentage, right? And he goes, yeah, but I just always thought it was bad. I'm like, actually, no, your body does two things. It gets amped or it gets tired. So if you feel tired, you got to say, I'm ready to go. My body's telling me I'm ready to perform. It's not a bad thing. So there's, right. there's that. So another football player that I used to work with, he, uh, he was incredible, incredible athlete, but he used to throw up. Like he yeah. threw up in front of the team. And I always look at it because back in the day, it's like, if you threw up, you're actually losing energy. Right. There's a lot of energy. So like, I used to look at it first. I'm like, is that a good thing? Like, why is everybody letting this you know, athlete throw up? And right. so I walked up to him and I said, how long have you been doing this? He's like, my whole career, even when I was in Pop Warner. And I said, how do you, do you associate it as a positive or negative? And he goes, a positive. He's like, my body just, I need to get this stuff out so I can actually be lighter and faster because he was running back. I'm uh-huh. like, as long as you have that, that association with it, then I'm good with it. So, I love it. Yeah. So now we're going to go back. Oh, okay. All right. Take us back. I love it. Take us back to where back. you grew up. I was um, born in 70. I always say that. So I'm either old or young. It doesn't matter. But take, take us back in time to wherever makes sense to you. Yeah. Well, I was born in 74. Um, I actually grew up a um, majority of my life in the Bay Area. Oh, okay. And uh, a brother and sister. So I'm a baby of three. And um, grew up in right San there. Ramon, which is about, there it is, yeah. about 30 minutes outside of uh, San Francisco. Okay. Um, which I live in San Francisco right now. But um, yeah, I uh, grew up in an incredible family, a very loving, very touchy, uh, always hands on each other, you know, just kissed my dad all the way uh, on the lips, you know, senior year in high school before school, you know, it was just, we were just connected. Um, had an incredible dad uh, and mom, but my dad was involved in all of our sports. If he wasn't coaching, he was like the president of the baseball league or the football league, you know, so super involved. Um, I would say that I flourished when I got into high school. Um, I was kind of a tall, goofy, free-spirited, sort of was down most of the time, had chocolate stains on my shirt, you know, I was just, but I was loving it, man. Like, you know, I was just my own, I was my own party. Um, but when I got into being a, a freshman in high school, that's when I started to really find out who I was and um, and became this like you said, you and I talked before the show, I was the quarterback. I was the man. Um, I was, you know, homecoming prince every year until uh, my senior year. I was homecoming king. And, and so, and I played for one of the best colleges in the country for junior college. And um, I was just living the dream. Like, life was great. And then, uh, and then I had a career-ending injury uh, when I played at Sonoma State. Actually, at Chabot Junior College is when I had it, but I played through it at Sonoma State. And then... Uh, 
life changed. Uh, started slowly not to be the man anymore for a long, long time. But it all started, the whole story started back, uh, back in San Ramon, California. I didn't know if I was right about the prom queen, king. Yeah. Prom, but yeah, I was, <laughs> was kind of being an ass when I was talking about it. But there I'm not surprised. You were the quarterback. Mm -hmm. I dated the quarterback in my high school. He was valedictorian and everything. Oh, yeah. all right. I know. I know. I know. I don't like to brag, but it's not something to brag about. <laughs> I love it. I love so it. So what was, you were playing football and your trajectory pre-injury was what? Well, it was, it was promising. I mean, in high school, I had a lot of colleges uh, interested in me. Um, and for whatever reason, there was other dynamics that came involved that were out of my control that I, I didn't land the Division One, you know, Pac-10 back then, Pac-10, you know, team or an SEC team, or, you know, or ACC team. So, um, but I was, I was very good. I mean, I was probably a better leader than I was actually a quarterback, but I was, I was good. And um, my trajectory was, um, it looked bright. It looked like that I was going to, to me, I thought I was going to end up playing some kind of professional football. Right. Um, whether if it was NFL or arena football or something, um, Canadian football. But that was kind of where I was going. Um, that was my identity. It was like football. That was it. Well, sports your whole life growing up was a huge identity just in your family. It was. And then football was where that was your sweet spot. It was my sweet spot. And there's nothing wrong with that. What were you, what was your major in college? So in college it was, I was communications media arts. So I was, so this is really funny because I wanted to be a TV broadcaster, a radio broadcaster. And so when I realized I, I had my first internship and I got it and, and, and I got the job after I was done and they were like, okay, your salary's going to be 12 grand. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? I'm like, my, my student loans are 16. Right. So I was right. like, this didn't make sense. So I, I, I instantly just, you know, push pause on that and got into sales for a long time. But now that I I've found what I'm doing now, being a mental performance coach and having my podcast and doing all this video content, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really, I'm living my, my initial, you know, dream. So it's kind of cool. It's like, a, I'm living a double, double thing here right now in a good way. Uh, you know what? The same thing happened to me. And I think a lot of it is because like I graduated in 88, there was no internet. Then I was a communications major and I had strength in psychology, but I mean, I wasn't going to really do anything with the psychology. I wanted to write, but back then you had to type the whole damn manuscript and put it yeah. in an envelope. Like it, it was tough. <laughs> so I was going to join Greenpeace and of course work for Nat Geo. But you know, I mean, that was not an easy feat to get your information out there. So same thing where you're like $12,000 a year. Yeah. So, yeah, like what? Yeah, I didn't finish my degree because it wasn't worth it. It was not worth it and I didn't I did not know what to do or how to do it at all. Right. And I think our generation kind of falls in that if we had known at the time we were going to school what things would occur later on. If we had stayed the course, it would have been epic, but instead exactly. we've come back around full circle. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the injury. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, man. That injury was tough. I'm so glad I went through it, which people like look at me like what? Cause it, it was, it was tough. Um, I had a compressed fracture to my left, uh, left hip and over probably like 15 years or so, I developed a really, really pronounced limp. And so, and I couldn't, I couldn't sit down right. Um, I couldn't do sports anymore. I couldn't run. Um, and I started, there was a lot of moments through those 15, 17 years of me really, really just letting go of who I was. I did not want to be the quarterback anymore. I don't want to be the homecoming king. I didn't want to be that. I, I wanted to be a musician and I wanted to you know, I want, and I was escaping. I was, I was smoking a lot, smoking a lot of marijuana, drinking, and, and I was still holding down a corporate job, but I was, that was just because I had to do that. I wanted to be something yeah. different. And when people wanted to ask me all the time about, I remember when you threw that touchdown, I remember when we broke records. I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. I just pushed it and I pushed it and I pushed it. And I pushed it so far that um, there was moments of uh, never got suicidal, but definitely depressed. Um, and I lived in a life of this for a long time where I, I just want to be the old grant. Why can't I just, do oh. this? but I didn't want to be the old grant. Right. So I just, I wanted all that. And 
that was kind of, um, I got to a point where I was like, I can still be an incredible granite. I get to design it, redesign it, ignite it. So, and we'll get into that in the interview, like when I started doing that. But um, yeah, you know, those, those 15, 17 years were tough. And um, my spine started to turn in, in a couple spots. Um, and it wasn't until it got worse after that. I had two, I had two hip replacements on the same hip before I was 40. Holy cow. Now yeah. I, I read enough of your story. I'm going to put it up a little bit more. Um, your first surgery didn't help your first hip replacement. I'm, I'm guessing it was the hip replacement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did it. So you had to stop playing. People were keeping you framing you in your glory years, so to speak, yeah. which wasn't where you wanted to live at all. Right. I get working the corporate job because you had to, to make money. I think right. a lot of us have been caught up in that and then trying to escape and figure out who the hell you are outside of that identity. Yeah. That, that again, a lot of us go through that, but you're actually physically breaking down. Physically, uh, physically. And I was, I gained a lot of weight at the time uh, mm. over those course of the years. And also too, uh, the, the fuel and the identity crisis and the, um, the depression was the fact that I got to, I, I didn't, I didn't get to choose to leave the game. Right. And so I was frustrated and pissed off. Like I didn't get to choose. And I was told that I had to, my body told me. So that was a lot of it where I was, I, and I kept that frustration with me for a long, long time. And uh, so, yeah, that, that used, that was, I was pissed off a lot. I wasn't, I wasn't really a, a fun. I mean, there's times where I was, um, I was fun. But emotionally, I wasn't fun. Now I'm free as fuck. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm shit's good. Freak flag. But there you, you, you were not even sure who you, I mean, it's really hard to be that happy, positive, fun guy when you don't even know who that guy is. Right. You haven't it. even figured, yeah. Well, I think, and I think sometimes we lose it and sometimes we never quite found it. Hmm. You know, we're still trying to develop it, right? When it was taken away from, and I understand that we can talk about a lot of different situations where it wasn't stopping playing the game that was the issue; it was having the choice removed from you that was yeah. the issue. It was. So you, and gaining weight does not help your hips. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I throw that out there. So you you're working corporate, you're in sales, and. You're spending all this time physically feeling worse and worse, drinking, smoking weed, not being a fun guy, hating yeah. when stuff was brought up. What made you finally get the hip replacement? And I did phrase that that way on purpose. Yeah. Because well, it was, yeah, go ahead. You weren't, you weren't doing things actively, I'm assuming, to feel better physically. Right. A hundred percent. Was this a punishing yourself thing or a not uh. giving a shit thing? It was a little bit of, of everything. It was, okay. it was me being a victim too. I oh, mean, that's a right? good mentality. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It works <laughs> right? really well. Yeah. You go far with that mentality. Yeah, really Trust far. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when I think um, when it got to it, here's a deal. Like if, if for the people that are listening to this, they have hip problems or they have knee problems, joint problems, and doctors are saying, hey, we're going to wait or you're too young. Just tell them that you're losing your sleep. That's the key. Oh, because when you lose sleep, you're taking years off your life. Oh, so interesting. I didn't like it. I've been working with uh, the Oakland Athletics, the baseball team. I was working with the, their hip surgeon for, man, I was, I mean, for a couple of years. And, um, and then he kept on telling me like, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. And it, it was bone on bone inside my hip. And I was hurt. It was, I just went to him and said, I'm losing sleep. And he goes, oh, you're losing sleep? Okay, let's go. Let's do it. I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, I should, really? I <laughs> Man, I should have known that. Uh, so I didn't get prepared for it mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I didn't. I just said I get my life back. I just want to walk normal again. I want to sit down and do like small little things again. I want to get back to who I am, right? And that was the big thing because I had a bad leg. I felt everything else was bad, mm. and that was my aha moment when I got done going into my second surgery. When I realized everything around it was actually good and healthy, I focused on that, and we'll get into what I did to get me back to normal, quote unquote. But when I was, um, when I told my, my doctor that I'm losing sleep, he said, let's do it. So we did it. 
And what happened was he did everything fine, but my okay. body, re my body reacted to the surgery negatively. It actually, I was less than 1% this ever happened, but basically what happened, um, my hip was so bad that he said, your, your hip looked like an 85 year old man. I've never removed bone spurs that big that there were four massive bones are the biggest ones I've ever removed off a human before. And um, he goes, so it, it usually takes me about an hour and a half to do it. It took me three and a half hours. He goes, I went through two scrubs because I, I sweat through the first one and I sweated all the way through the second one. He goes, I've never done that before. And he goes, but you, you're going to be good. And so I was like, wow, okay, crazy. Well, 30 days later, did my first x-ray and he looks at my x-ray and he goes, what is that? Oh no. My, I'm like, first of all, I don't even know what they see in those x-rays. <laughs> if you don't know, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you're the doctor. And I even said, I'm like, I don't know. You're the doctor. You tell me. And he goes, you see that little spot there? And I'm like, yeah, kind of. And he goes, that shouldn't be there. And he goes, we need, to, we need to monitor that every 30 days. And I'm like, is it, what is it? And he goes, I don't know. I'm like, did you leave something in my hip? And he's like, no. But he goes, There's, it looks like a growth. And I'm like... So I'm like, I'm dumbfounded right now. I'm like, what's going on? So 30 day, every 30 days, guess what happens? That spot gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But basically what it is, it's, it's a heteroossification. And what that is, is when, when your uh, scar tissue turns into a bone. Oh, and they, okay. And they find this with soldiers when they get their limbs blown off, which when trauma happens. So when you actually get cut, your brain sends a, a signal and chemical mm -hmm. to heal it. Well, because there was so much trauma in my hip, and if you've ever seen a uh, hip replacement done before, it's very aggressive. Okay. I mean, saws, hammers, mallets. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, so there's a lot of trauma there for three and a half hours. So my brain didn't turn off. It kept on sending this chemical. And so it was growing this bone inside my hip. So the bone over three and a half years, it grew six inches long and four inches wide. So it, it was over my hip flexor. So I, it wouldn't, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't walk. I couldn't, couldn't clip my toenails for three years. I couldn't tie my shoes for three years. I uh, couldn't sit down in a public stall and go to the bathroom. Not to give you the, uh, an image on that, but my wife had to do all that. She had to like, if I, if my shoe was untied, I couldn't tie it. I have to walk around until I asked somebody, can you tie my shoe for me? Cause I couldn't bend over. How did it go so far? It didn't go for so long. I mean, three and a half years, isn't right. in general a tremendous amount of time, but for the situation, right? Why did it go so long? If you're looking at it every thirty days and it's growing, and we know what it is, because the the documentation on this was like from the seventies. Oh, and and if because I wasn't a soldier, like you know, I wasn't going to get really you know the specialist, right? Even my doctor said that he goes. All I've been told, I've been reaching out to everybody and they say, just wait for the bone to stop growing. I go, well, when is it going to stop growing? And he goes, I don't know. I'm like, so I have to sit here with this. And he goes, yeah. And this is where this is, talk about the mental shift here. He said, you have to be okay with being handicapped for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I looked at him, I'm like, doctor, I didn't sign up for this. I just signed up to have my hip back, my life back. And he goes, I understand, but you're you're handicapped right now. And he goes, do you want me to sign you up for a placard? And I'm looking at him. I'm like, I don't want to hear this shit. Like, What a I'm, horrible I'm, mindset. Yeah. And so I remember coming home and I tell my dad, I'm like, dad, I, I guess I'm handicapped. He's like, no, you're not. You're only handicapped if you think you are. And so I, I fought this whole thing about being handicapped. And then it, then it just dawned on me. Then it's like going into my third year and I'm like, and I'm, I'm walking like the hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, it, it was like people would tell me all the time, it hurts me to see you walk. And I'm like, yeah, you have no clue what it feels like right now because it hurts. Like everything hurts. And so I had to deal with a lot of that. I had even more identity crisis. I'm like, what am I turning into? Like talk about being the man and not being the man. I mean, I wasn't the man at all. I mean, I was, uh, I didn't know. I was in the effect of all these things I had no control of. Um, and, and the bone got so big and so hard, it was just like, people would touch it and they're like, Oh my God, it's like, metal. I'm like, I know. And it grew into my butt. So, which was really crazy. Um, that is, it got I'm to a, trying not to have a visual about that. Right. right. 
<laughs> well, it, it's, it's, it's crazy because when he actually, um, he called me, uh, he called me on a Thursday night. It was, he was in Boston at a conference. This is my doctor. He calls me up and said, I just talked to a guy from Europe and he said that we need to, we actually need to take it out. And I said, well, let's do it. And he said, but we have to do some different things. I'm like, what are those things? And he goes, we have to put radiation in your hip. And I said, why? No. Because we want to make sure it doesn't come back. And I was like, okay, well then let's do it. And he said, I know, I knew you were going to say that, but he goes, here's what I want. And he goes, no pun intended. I want you, when you're done with this surgery, I want you to come out running. So I want okay. you to actually get everything prepared. He's like, I want you to lose your weight. I want you to get mentally prepared. I want you to get spiritually prepared. I want you to actually, when you're getting ready, like you've trained for this. And I'm like, all right, that sounds pretty cool. So he's like, give yourself six to nine months. So I, I mean, I started getting into my breath. I started doing meditation, started doing gratitude work. I was losing my weight. I mean, I was getting ready for this thing. Mm -hmm. And um, when they actually went in, they pulled it out, they cut it out. It grew into my, into my butt. And so there's three muscles in your butt. Well, mm -hmm. it grew into all three of them. They removed the small and half the middle one. So I had my, when I came out of it, I had my leg back, my hip, everything, but I lost half my butt. So I had to do a lot of squats to get it back to being normal. So that was a whole different process. But I'll tell you this, that whole like opportunity of the doctor telling me to get ready for it. Yeah. The moment I got out of that, I opened up my eyes and they said, Mr. Parr, Mr. Parr. And I opened up my eyes and they don't know my story. They don't know what I've been going through for the last two decades. Right. And I said, I'm back. And she's like, she had no clue what I said. Like, she's like, no, hey, Mr. Parr. I'm like, I'm back. And when I said that, everything was clear. Everything was soft and, and the voices were beautiful. Everything was just like this like dream. And as they're moving me in my mind, I'm like, I'm fucking back. Like I am, I felt it. Like there was this like vibration, this frequency. And I remember when I was left alone at night, I had to go to the bathroom, got the nurse and I said, can you help me? And I, this is, we're talking almost two decades. I have not sat on a toilet normal because my leg right. would be sticking straight out to the left. I sat down and I looked at my legs and I was like, this is, this is so real. I'm like, this is wow. crazy. It was like normal. And I was like, I looked at her and she starts to see me smile and I go, can I do this again? And she's like, Wait, what do you mean? I'm like, I need to stand up and sit back down. And so we did that like two or three times. And I sat back in my, I started watching TV and I'm, I'm smiling. I'm like, holy shit, man, I'm really back. Like I, I'm like, it's one thing to feel it, but I saw just the little things of just sitting down. And uh, within two weeks, man, I was like, the doctors were telling me to slow down. They're like, stop doing squats, stop doing this. I'm like, don't tell me this. And so uh, ever since then, man, I've been, my life's been thriving. I've found new meaning and done some cool things. And, and uh, I went through a lot of hell, but uh, I'm glad I did. I love, and I think it's a more European medical mindset to get the person ready physically. Because where we get put on, like if I needed a kidney and you're put on the list and we're just waiting for the match, right? Mm -hmm. But all we're waiting for is the right blood type and the right, the right match. Yeah. But while you're sitting there waiting, and maybe that's not a good example. I don't want anybody to get mad at me. But when we're waiting to be matched up with something, in the U.S., we're not told, lose the weight, stop smoking, no more alcohol, get in a good mindset. We're not ta taught or told any of that from the medical community. Where in Europe, you have to qualify. Yeah to be on like an organ donor list or to have, to have a surgery like you have, yeah, you have to prove that you're ready because your success rate is low if you're not. Yeah. We're in the US, we're just like, you're a match, let's go. And it doesn't matter if you need to lose 80 pounds. And right. then when it doesn't succeed, we blame the medical profession, our mentality in the US. And it's not the medical profession, except that they're not forcing us to be prepared or accountable right to have these pretty huge surgeries so by you being told mentally prepare lose the weight show me that you're ready for this surgery to come out running yeah. you were set up for success totally applaud that i applaud that and i think that's a huge reason why our success is so low in the us and i love him for that dr sayapong is his name and it was funny when when it was um when it was ready for me to go to 
uh, the, to go to UCSF, which is one of the best places in the world to get this stuff done. He was like, it's time for me to, it was weird. Like, he's like, you got to go to a new doctor. And I said, well, why? I mean, you've been part of this. And he's like, yeah, but they'll take care of you. And it was like, it was like a good breakup. Uh, but I had a hard time because I want this dude, like, has been with me. And he's like, there's moments where he, he never cried. But, you know, there's moments where I sat there in his office, I'm crying. And he's just, you know, he's staring at me. And I know he's feeling it. He's like, he knows. He was an athlete one time. He works with athletes all the time. But I think it was really cool. And he's like, it's just time for us to go. It's time for us to, you need to move on from me. And I was like, but I don't want to. Man. I don't like him. <laughs> this dude, you know, Dr. Hansen took care of me, but he, um, he, was, he was really, really good. Um, we didn't connect on a, on a personal energetic level like I did with Dr. Sayapong, but still, like, I'm grateful for all they did. And um, it is truly, it's one of the coolest experiences I went through because I've, now that I've got my, my body back, my mind and my spirit, I am playing a big game. And that's like, and, but the, the shitty thing is I could have been playing a big game through that whole period. Could have. Could have. But in one hand, shit in the other. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, that's the, yeah, but he gave you, he, he performed a surgery that fixed your hip, but he gave you so much more. Oh my gosh. It's so much more. And I get to share my story. I get to share adversity I get to teach people now based off what I had to go through and, um, and, and the things that I went through. Now I can teach people this. You can make a better decision quicker and don't have to wait two decades. You can actually do it right now or right. you can do it in a short amount of period depending on the context of the situation. But that's, just, that's my, my energy of my offering. And if I can share my energy with my story and, and with the, my education now from you know, sports psychology, I, I'm just in service. I love it right now. I want to talk about that. So you, now I understand why you had written, you know, you woke up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now I understand because you had pre-gamed. There you, you go. You pre-gamed that surgery. I love pre-gaming. -pre I love it. <laughs> but you pre-gamed that surgery for several months. And then yeah. on top of that, you knew like in your mind, your mindset was that not only did you get your life back, you didn't want to be homecoming king quarterback. No. So you didn't really want your life back like that, but physically you could move. And in that sense, you got your life back, but you got to redesign. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly what it is. I got to redesign. I got to activate the inner athlete, the inner warrior. And I went on a, about a year and a half discovery mode. Okay. Of because I was, you know, I was working for an incredible company, Wesco. Um, best one of my favorite managers in the world. I mean, it made the most money in my life. It was crazy, it was crazy what was going on. I just didn't, I wasn't connected to the work, right? And so, after I got my life back and got my body back, I went on this discovery uh journey of I, I call it my four quadrants. So, if I can find a job that can actually where I can. I don't care what it is. If I'm in these four industries or four quadrants, then I can wake up with purpose. Okay. So, so if I found something in music, if I found something in sports, if I found something in wine, or if I found something in like health, fitness, wellness, I would, I would be okay. So then I just started going on LinkedIn. I started calling people, doing informational interviews. I was talking to people and just trying to figure out what I wanted. And as I was getting to, to a point where I was going to actually create my own wine bar, and realize that maybe I just like drinking wine more than actually running the business. Yeah. Um, I, I sat in my car between two sales meetings and I was listening to um, a gentleman by the name of Desmond Howard, who's a former football player. And uh, he was on ESPN talking about either his sports psychologist or a sports psychologist. But when he said the word, I'm like, what is that? Yeah. And so then I went home, started doing tons of research and I'm like, this is something, this is like, I'm feeling this. And so then, um, I don't know, two or three months later, I was enrolled in a master's program uh, at the age of 40. You know, it's been a long time since I've been back to school. And man, it was the best thing I ever did. I mean, it was just incredible. Like, you got when your I was, master's. I got my master's. And when I was going to school, which it was tough because full-time job yeah. and I was coaching football and doing all this stuff. But I was like in school going, this shit is, oh my, whoa, this is man, I needed this stuff when I played. And it was just, it was, yeah. it was so cool. 
And then when I was done, I just knew that I was, I was heading in the right direction. So no more wine bar. Can I order wine from you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Reno. I'm only four hours away. I could come pick that shit up. All right. <laughs> so no wine bar. I actually, I want to fixate on that for just a second, second, the four quadrants, because when you talk to people, especially in our age where we get to redesign our lives, because mm. so much has changed since we went to college, so much has changed and technology is like whatever it's doing, doubling every day or something totally ridiculous that my brain can't even wrap around. We have opportunities that we've never had before. So where you said you circle back around, right? Yeah. Now you have the podcast and your coaching, which was like all the stuff I'm doing would have fallen under the original degree. Yeah. To, it would have been tweaked a little bit. It's right, probably right. called something different, but you and I both circled back to what we wanted when we were 17, 18 years old in a way better way, in way better sense. Yeah. Um, so we get to do that, to redesign, but you, you bringing it down into the four quadrants, that's so interesting because when you said music, wine, sport, like those aren't connected at all. No. Necessarily. But that makes up who I am. Right. Yeah. That's a great mindset to get in, to plot out, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. Even if you're grown up, because I, I really love that. I just want to fixate on that just a little bit, because I think that's such a great tool for those of us who have hit this point at, at some point in our lives where we're like, okay, well, what now? Like this, this phase, like you said, with the job that you had, you, you weren't passionate. You're making good money, but you weren't passionate. Like you knew that it had an expiration date. Yeah. But you don't know what's next. No, but that's where you trust the process. Mm -hmm. And and that's where, if, if you know, again, what you're doing, you know, where you're going, you're being authentic. Yeah. It's just going to be scary. And you don't know what's the unknown is there, but is that unknown? Is, is it actually, is it fear or is it opportunity? And, 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 it, you know, again, along the way, there wasn't any crises, but like for me, when there is a crisis, there's an opportunity. So if there's right. fear, there's an opportunity. So um, I think for me, it, it's, it's really cool because I, I was really trusting. I was trusting everything. And that was cool because I didn't trust myself for, for two decades. And so it was right. kind of fun to do that. But I hear people all the time now. It's like, you know, they're, they're in their late thirties, they're in their forties, they're, you know, going into their fifties and they're like, man, I hate my job. I wish I could do something like you, but you know, I can never do that. I'm like, yeah, you probably won't, <laughs> but you can, you can, you can. You're right. I mean, I'm way smarter than you are. Have much. <laughs> That's not good coaching practice. I'm sorry. Don't use that in your coaching. Anyone. No, I love it. <laughs> but you're right. We can, but it, I think also it's sometimes when opportunity meets, you know, we have, well, you said in the beginning about something else that you have to be open. Yeah. And if you're not, nothing's going to happen with your mindset. Right. It's the same thing with this. And then when opportunity arises and you already have the, and it meets your open mindset, then some magic could happen. Totally. And sometimes the magic is that's not the right thing, like the wine bar. Right. But I was open to it. I tried right. it on and I right. made a decision, but, but I was still in, it's not about power per se, but it's about empowering. So I empowered myself right. by, by trying it on. And then I empowered myself by making a decision that it wasn't the right thing for me. Right. But I think a lot of it, when you go through discovery and you're going through checking things out in life, no matter where you're at in life, then this is where the vulnerability comes in. This is where the magic comes in. The more that right. you're vulnerable, and, and I will use this, my, my mentor has a beautiful saying, Victory goes to the vulnerable. You want victory? You want to be victorious? Then, then you need to be vulnerable. We talk. I think think now with Brene Brown and yeah. and all these studies about vulnerability. Now it's like it's we have a as a society we have a different perspective and a shift on that word because back in the day when I was growing up, being vulnerable was weak, and right. so teaching people how to be vulnerable and that there is strength, it is being brave, it is being courageous. That's where when you that's it's about being open, being vulnerable, being open. And man, when you're open to things, man, whew, beautiful things happen. I, I kind of want to wrap up asking a couple questions. One is, what was it like? How was it scary? You have this new hip that this time is working. They've done the radiation. Was that, was that traumatic for you, the radiation therapy that they had to do on your hip? Um, 
you know, it, it wasn't, I didn't, I just thought it was kind of like this weird, cool thing they're doing. Um, okay. And I felt pretty safe. They knew what they're doing, but um, I'll tell you what, as soon as I was done with the surgery. So after I went through my whole, like, Oh my God, I'm back. This is great. Yeah. They went, I went from one room to another and then to the, the um, X-ray, X-ray room so they can do that. And when they were actually putting all, all that stuff through my hip, I, it was warm and it was oh. very, it's very close to, my boys, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, to, yep. I had to sign my life away. Um, but that kind of scared me because I was like, whoa, like radiation. Like, yeah. And it's so close. But I was like, but I started to tell myself, like, this is a good thing. Just yeah. kind of like nerves, right? I was talking to it. I was like, this is good. I'm getting better. This is, it won't come back now. It won't come back now. I didn't know right. if it was going to come back. They didn't know it either. Right. But I had to trust that. So it was scary in that moment. And then when I, had the moments of sitting down and getting back up. I'm like, man, I, don't, I'm, I didn't even Who cares? I, I'm back. Let's go. <laughs> was it hard? So he said he wanted you up and running, but you haven't even been able to sit normally. Yes. You haven't been able to move your body normally for two decades. Yeah. Was it scary to move your body again? Uh, no, it was, um, it was like this, like awakening. Like I, I was like, let's try it. I mean, what do I have to lose if I fall? You know how many times I've, I've fell down in front of people? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, that's true. Okay. I, I have. And I've, I mean, I've, yeah, I've done a lot of falling down. And so I was like, I didn't even think about it. I just knew when I tried it and it felt good. I was like, oh my gosh. This is great. <laughs> like Superman. Oh, a Superman. And it's funny because my, my yeah. wife is like, she is like uh, super fit, loves to run. And, and she was like, literally, we're talking a month out of the show. Hey, you want to do a marathon? I'm like, no. So that was my next question was about your wife. That yeah. was I would think it would be scary to start again. Like you, you're not sure how your body's going to respond, but I love that. Well, like your body was screwed up and not responding before. So who really cares? At least you're trying these things instead yeah. of, instead of falling because you're hurt. So yeah. that makes sense to me. That great attitude with that. But what was your relationship with your wife? Like she's helping you sit down on the toilet, tying your shoes and clipping your toenails. Yeah. So watching your debilitation. Totally. Let's end there. Let's end on this stuff. Okay, this is good because there's yeah. there's there's two stories. Yeah. That um, when I before I got my first surgery, yeah. Um, I was in bad shape, and she was and she was totally into snowboarding, and still is. But she was like, "Hey, let's go to the hill. Let's go to the Tahoe, and and let's go snowboarding." I looked at her, and I've never snowboarded before, and I could barely walk. So I'm looking at her like pissed off, like, "Why would you even bring that up?" Right. So. She saw she saw my my energy shift and I was getting I was getting all pissy and she's like um, she looked at me and she's like listen do you want to be 55 65 70 years old walking up a stairs trip and break your hip by doing that or do you want to be the athlete that you are because I know that you still have that athlete in you and do you want to hurt your hip by doing something athletic and I'm like I don't know I go I don't <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to break it at all. And she's like, wouldn't it be more honorable because you, you are an athlete. And that's when I told her, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not uh, an athlete anymore. And she was like, until you can understand, until you want to make a choice that you're an athlete, you'll, you'll, you'll snowboard or you'll do something, but you're going to be that dude. That's going to be six, 60 years old, seven years old, you're going to trip and you're going to break your hip and you're going to be not that athlete the whole time. So that, that got me. It was so funny because I went up to Tahoe that weekend. And I took a lesson and I, and it, with a bad hip, I was snowboarding for the first time. So she kind of got me to think like, okay, well maybe I can, like maybe I, you know, so that was, she got me rethinking about this whole thing about just my identity. So right. fast forward, have all these surgeries, go through all this, this journey with her. Um, she was like, literally, let's go do a, a marathon. And I'm like, <laughs> I think I love her. <laughs> yeah. She's got tons of energy. Tons right. Of energy. Right. So she's like, well, why wouldn't you? And I said, there's a, there's a life expectancy on these hips. I don't want to go through this again. And she's like, well, what if you do? And I said, well, then I'm prepared for it. So I, I know how to get ready for it. She's like, so then let's go run a marathon. Right. Because like, I, you know, I, I just want to you know, have more longevity through the hips. So um, we, you know, never did a marathon, never did a 5k, but her and I, we work out religiously together. And um, 
she and she just loves it. She loves my trajectory of she's seen me at my worst. Yep. She's like, Grant, you have so much range. Like I've seen you at the your worst day and I've seen you at your best. And I, and I know you haven't even reached your best yet. So and I believe that. I think there's just I'm striving for more excellence and more greatness and um and to share my energy through, you know, by doing that. But she's just I think for her, I can only imagine what it's like to be in her shoes because she's seen this person she's loved so much. She's been with me for 16 years and to see that and now seeing me on the other side is, I think is probably pretty cool for her. I think what I love about the story is that she saw the athlete in you when you didn't. Right. Totally. And it was your mindset. Yep. Thank you so much, Grant. This was so fun. This was yeah. great. I love what an amazing story. I can't even imagine. Awesome. Thank you so much.